This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Good evening. I'm Ron Burgundy, and this is what's happening in your world tonight. Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on my calendar, it's all or nothing day. So we're going all in on some of the worst investment decisions of all time. Think you've made some doozies? Well, you aren't the only one. Here to celebrate with us, we welcome from Retirement Starts Today Radio, Benjamin Brandt. Plus, from LenPenzo.com, it's Pete Rose. <laughs> He's got five to one odds we don't finish this show in under an hour. It's just Len Penzo. Plus, from this podcast, let's say hello to OG. In our Friday FinTech segment, with colleges starting up again all over the world, we welcome from a company helping students get better class notes from OneClass.com, Jerry Zhang. Later, We'll take out the magnifying glass and answer a voicemail from a listener. And I know what you're waiting for. We'll take some time for some of my incredible trivia. And now, the guy who always goes all or nothing in the latest board games, it's Joe Salcihai. You got to. I mean, we're always playing for keeps down here in the basement. And by the way, if I don't go all in... OG's going to go all in. So I know. Got to go first. Because if you're not first, OG, you're just the first loser, right? Second place is the first loser. That's right. Yes. From uh, the best movie of all time, Talladega Nights. I was going to say it's from the No Fear t-shirt circa 1989. It was probably from that too. (laughs) Stolen. (laughs) Stolen by Talladega Nights. By Talladega Nights. I I see Benjamin nodding there. So I'm sure. Did you have one of those t-shirts? No fear. That's right. He, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins. I think was yes, one that I had. That's one. Yep. No fear. I think I was. That was my sophomore year in high school. So that was top top notch. And that voice you hear on my dad's shortwave coming loud and clear, OG, all the way from North Dakota. It's our new friend, Ben Brand. Hey, thanks for having me. Love the way the uh, basement smells, like Febreze. It's good. Don't you love it when you can smell it all the way through the shortwave? 
I love mm, it. <laughs> it's fantastic. Well, tell everybody about the show because you have a bunch of fun on the show talking about all the nerdy topics, like not one or two. You talk about all the nerdy topics, Ben. Uh, yeah, I love it. We're closing in on episode 100 on our show, and we talk everything retirement from Roth IRA conversions to what the heck you're going to do with your life after 40 years of a career. Now you've got eight to 10 hours a day to fill. What are we going to do with that time? So and, we love talking retirement. And and you're a guy that knows a little bit about that because you're also, I believe, a certified financial planner. I am. Just in North Dakota, or do you work with people all over the U.S.? I work with people all over, all over the country. Most of our clients are geographically specific, but we work exclusively with retirees, so people that are living off their savings. So in other words, when you say geographically specific, you work with the other people, the other three people in North Dakota. That's right. If, if I can't see your house from my office, we can't work together. <laughs> like I knew a guy who did that, a Chicago guy, who at the time, because of technology wasn't the way it was, actually drew a map in his office that said, if you're not in this circle, you can't be a client because you're, it's just going to take you too long to get here. You're not going to want to come. You know, traffic's too bad, that sort of thing. So. Well, the beauty of technology, uh, as our show has grown, uh, people contact us from all over the, the country. So we love it. Well, a guy who's uh, all the way across the country from us, and he's also about 12 feet underground in the bunker. It's Mr. Len Penzo. Hey, I am excited. You know why? I've got two of the hottest tickets in Los Angeles right now. Can you guess what they're for? Uh, For uh, spending time with Ben and OG, probably. No. No. I'm going to go Ariana Grande and um, pre-sale... Olympic 100 meter meter finals when when LA gets the the Olympics again whenever the not, hell that is not even close I've got two tickets to the finale of Master Chef Junior nice. and that's three days away baby that's awesome three days away how'd you score that <laughs> oh I got my contacts okay because the other people free. the other people They're free could, <laughs> I was gonna say because give them away the other fan couldn't make it that day. <laughs> Master Chef Junior, baby. That is fantastic. So, Len, you don't know this, but our friend Ben here has six Junior Master Chefs in his family. I think that's fantastic. Are, are any of them on the show? Oh, if only they could cook. Boy, oh. that'd be easy. <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> it's never too late, Ben. But the story, the story, Len, doesn't end there until uh, how long ago, Ben? You were a family of three of uh five you had three kids right until that fateful day we're foster parents so we got a call one afternoon to accept triplets as foster parents and and we did and after 641 days of foster care we adopted them two months ago isn't that awesome that's pretty cool triplets on 24 hours notice but i love on that 24 hours notice your wife told you you had to do it just say yes or no now and your first reaction was my first reaction was call my mom and call your grandma, thinking that they would be the voice of reason. And, and I was <laughs> I was mistaken. <laughs> he was like, oh, hell no. Babies! Who would Babies! do that? <laughs> They'll never hear this, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. By then it was, oh, from the very first second, it was, yes, absolutely. But Well, babies have a, have a way of, uh, of, you know, winning you over pretty quickly. So I'm yeah. thankful for that. Yeah, well, it's fantastic. I th- thought it was a great story when I first heard it and so excited for you and your and your family. And I do know that before you became a father of six, you had a full head of hair. <laughs> that's true. And that's true. And not a single gray hair in my beard. And that those times are behind us. 
Well, we got a great show. We've got Ben Brandt here. We've got Len. We've got OG. This show is brought to you by The Stacker, where nearly every week you can get updates of what's going on in the basement, plus lessons from the basement, usually things that I screwed up that you don't have to screw up. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Stacker for more. We're going to talk about uh, investment mistakes here today on the show. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. It's like the movie Instant Family. Did you see that movie, Ben? I did. I did. We don't get to go to movie theaters that often, but I saw it. And that's based on a true story of, of a family that did something very similar to us and brought a lot of attention to foster care. So we were pumped to see it. Did you see that movie, Len? No, uh, that night I had uh, two tickets to the uh, the new Let's Make a Deal, and so uh, I I missed it. Sorry. He goes, is it free? I was uh, dressed as the goldfish. I gotta I gotta tell I you, picked. N- knowing knowing your, I'm just gonna let that go. I knowing. I kept waiting for Mark Wahlberg to say uh, say hello to your mother for me, and he never delivered. I was so disappointed. He, he never did. Never delivered. But the uh, 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 this movie, Len, I know your spouse. She will love it. Mrs. Honeybee will absolutely love it. We'll have to we'll have to check that out. Yes. Uh, Thanks for the tip. And I dare you to watch it without the room getting just a little bit dusty. I'm just saying. This gets <laughs> okay. a little, little dusty. All right. Our headline today comes to us from MSN Money. And this is written by Jay McDonald, the 10 most terrible investment decisions of all time. I looked through these guys and uh, I certainly had an opinion about each of them and thought, well, we've got we've got a CFP who works with people in their investments here. We've got OG doing whatever the heck he does. Who knows? And we got Len, who certainly has an opinion about most investments. So I thought it's a good day to talk about this one. So let's dive in. The number one on this list, and we'll link to it, by the way, on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com if you want to follow along. Number one is the AOL Time Warner merger. It says, you've got fail. (laughs) Get it? You've got fail. In 2000, the $400 billion marriage of America Online and Time Warner Cable was the largest in business history. Unfortunately, high hopes and bad timing quickly turned green light to red ink as the deal set profits plunging. Things turned sour almost immediately when the internet bubble burst. AOL stock price plunged 50%, and an accounting scandal at the company didn't help matters. Time Warner executives encouraged CEO... Uh, Gerald Levin to abandon the merger without success. The investor who lost the most was media mogul Ted Turner, who took an eight billion dollar hit. Ben, we'll start with you as the guest. What do you? What's the lesson here? The lesson here, I think, too many people cash in their free internet CDs, those AOL CDs, at once, and it was just uh, nothing but red ink after that. <laughs> That's it. Moving, moving out. Uh, Len, did you have those free CDs? Yeah, oh man, those were great words. <laughs> I remember th- I actually forgot about those, Ben. So thanks for reminding. Yes, I did. But uh, not every merger is going to work. I mean, it's uh, usually when companies merge, the stock price goes up. Uh, but apparently, and I can't remember the details of this, but obviously, this was a, a anybody who bet on this uh, really took it in the shorts. Well, and I think that's because of hype, OG, isn't it? When Len says the price usually goes up on this type of news. Well, there has to be some sort of synergy, and I still can't, 20 years later, decide what the synergy was between Time Warner and uh, and AOL. But I do have some of the CDs still. You still? (laughs) Just in case I need some free internet. 
just for 48 hours or whatever the free time was. That was like 100 hours, 250 hours. It's when you're hoping for that crackling sound again. <laughs> you'd, you'd like hit submit and then, and then it would dial. And then sometimes it would be a busy signal. You, go, ah, you have to find a different phone number to use. And your mom would yell at you. Get off the yeah. phone. Get off. <laughs> or you'd be like right in the middle of whatever you were doing on the internet and somebody would pick up the phone. You're like, no, I'm on the, oh, no! and it's, it's gone. Gone. Ben, there's something, there's a lot here. I think to OG's point, there's a lot here to do with hype and you must have clients that feel the hype. I mean, in this case, you had a CEO of time Warner who kind of felt the hype, I believe, but you've got Im- investors you work with that feel the hype. How do you back people down off that hype train? Well, I think if anybody gets too excited about any investment, whether it's a merger or Bitcoin or you know Twitter or you name it, Miracle Meets or whatever the latest IPO was, you got to ask, what are you really trying to accomplish? Are you trying to, do you feel like you're behind in your retirement savings? Are you trying to catch up? Are you trying to get rich quick? I mean, you got to kind of talk people off the ledge and tell them to be fearful when other people are greedy and go back to the plan, which usually means sticking with low cost index funds and ETFs and all the super, super boring stuff. It's fun to read the headlines and speculate uh, with paper money. But when it comes to your real retirement savings, it's probably better to, to bet on the more sure thing. And that's diversification, and low cost index investing. What do you do, Ben, if you've got a hypothetical friend who thinks that gold is a phenomenal investment like all the time? Uh, I think he should build a bunker. <laughs> that's, that might be a good idea. Didn't take the bait. He Darn. did not. He did. Like that would have been awesome. You think I don't listen to this show? <laughs> got Benjamin in the title. We I'm, fo- I'm just enough of an. I listen to every show named Benjamin. I'm a narcissist. <laughs> we we we. Uh, I th- I thought I had Len there, and dang. Uh, let's go to let's go to number two. And we're going to start with Len on this one. Uh, as an engineer, Len, you'll appreciate this one. Kodak didn't get the picture. I get it. In the mid- these are all crazy, crazy, exciting, uh, funny. Headlines. In the mid-1970s, Eastman Kodak, which controlled 90% of the U.S. film market, developed a product that would one day make their number one product all but obsolete, the digital camera. Rather than compete with themselves, Kodak decided to sit on digital and not invest in developing it. Big mistake. By the early 1980s, Fuji entered the U.S. market, offering lower price film and photographic supplies. Eastman Kodak, of course, filed for bankruptcy back in 2012. Its digital camera patent had expired in 2007. I think there's some lessons here, uh, Len, but maybe the biggest one is is uh, resting. Resting? Yeah, resting on your, oh, look at we designed this oh, thing, course, so we're probably yes, done. Absolutely. And and I see, and, and here's what happened. I, I think I Kodak, I think they saw the digital camera as a threat, and instead of pursuing you know, to their, to their film business. So they, they sat on it and uh, let me tell you that worked okay for a while, but patents don't last forever. I think the current limit on a patent is 19 years, but you can get extensions. But if you do not uh, exploit your patent, I don't think there's any way you can possibly get an extension. So, and that's obviously that's what happened to Kodak here. So yes, resting on your laurels is a bad thing. Uh, Not all patents are going to be successful, of course, and it, and that is a challenge for companies. So just because your engineers are developing a whole bunch and putting out a whole bunch of patents, it's up to the company to determine which of those patents are going to be profitable and which are not. And unfortunately, the executives at Kodak bet wrong on the digital 
camera one. Boy, but it seems it seems also that, you know, patent aside, the second you have any good idea, you know, to your point, you've got to market it quickly before other, you know, other people are going to come for it. Like you've got to try to be the first mover and get out in front far enough that people can't steal your meal. Well, yes, and that's getting to the patent. Once you've got the patent, you're pretty set. Now, patents, I mean, we get into patent law here, but I mean, patents are very narrow when, in, in how they're read. So just because you have a patent for one thing, let's say Fuji could have come up with their own alteration to the digital uh, camera patent and exploited that as well. But yes, speed is of the essence. But again, you don't want to get caught in going down the wrong path and going down something that won't make a lot of money for you. So I can see where Kodak, again, I can see hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so easy to laugh at these guys, but it's not as cut and dry as just, oh, you got the patent. It's going to be rich. You're going to be rich and famous or profitable. You, you see this all the time, Ben, things like um, Betamax back in the day was a superior technology to the VCR, but because Sony decided to make it a closed loop system, you could even say that's why Apple doesn't sell as many products as, you know, Windows based computers is because it's a closed loop system, harder to make money that way versus being collaborative, I think. That's true. I think maybe you haven't heard the last from Kodak. You know, they pivoted hard last year into blockchain technology <laughs> to organize photos. Uh, they really did. Google it, Kodak blockchain. And, and so they looked brilliant for a while. Uh, looked a little less brilliant when that all crashed, but uh, it's coming back again. So I don't know. When you think about blockchain and, and sorting through photos and things like that, maybe we haven't heard the last from Kodak, but uh, as far as selling cameras and things like that, it's it's looking a little dim. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, when clients ask you about blockchain, what do you say to them? Uh, I say I've, I know nothing close enough to be able to give proper advice on that. Oh, gee, there's another piece here as I was thinking about this one, which is, you know, at one point Kodak was so dominant, people said there's no way this company can fail. Right. I mean, we saw this with a lot of the, the bankruptcies here where we are in Detroit. You can kind of hang your hat a lot of the time on this company would never, ever go bankruptcy and and that's probably not true. Well, it's the same thing with the AOL, Time Warner, and Kodak, and some of these other ones that we're going to talk about here. It perfectly makes the case for why you don't want to be a stock picker, because you're betting against the collective wisdom of everybody. But more importantly, you have to be right all the time. Whereas, you know, if you own an S&P fund, as an example, some are going to be winners and some are going to be losers, and that's okay because collectively it's going to do well uh, over a long period of time. So why bother trying to nitpick what, you know, Len was talking about in mergers, stocks go up and sometimes they do. And sometimes the company that gets bought out uh, has a different event that happened. I mean, there's just so many different things that there's impossible to keep track of. So why spend your time or energy trying to grow upstream like that? You know, it's a good example. Let's look at the Dow, right? The Dow 30 those 30 companies continually change over the, you know, how old is the Dow? It's over 100 years old, right? It's 120, 130 years old. I believe this I is know. a trivia question. that always Yeah, right, right, maybe. But but I mean, look at the Dow 30. The, the original Dow has, I, I don't think there's, I think there's only two or three companies in the original Dow 30 from, you know, 100 years ago, maybe less than that. And, and so these companies that you think are the, the big companies that are going to be around forever, things turn over constantly. I mean, look at GE, right? GE was, I think, the biggest company in the world, what, 15 years ago, 16 years, and now it is, it's uh, like down to the 25th. Not the biggest. 
No, it's definitely not the biggest, and they are in trouble. As a matter of fact, their stock has been not doing well. Need so. to get into blockchain. <laughs> yeah, pivot. <laughs> pivot. To to compound on OG's point a little bit about about individual stock picking, even if you're some kind of super stock genius, even in your own mind, and you pick ten correct stocks in a row, just that eleventh pick could wipe out the gains from the previous ten. You know, which was why we're such believers in in spreading that out, diversifying. Just buy the index funds. It's not you could speculate a little bit. But even if you're right for a long time, just that being wrong one one time can wipe out all of your gains over years. Well, and to put more of a positive spin on that, Ben, I also like the fact that if you buy the Dow or you buy the S&P 500 or the total market or whatever, it's self-cleaning. I mean, you don't have to decide which companies are no longer the 500 biggest companies in America. If you buy the S&P 500, they automatically take them out and they place companies in that are headed in the right direction so you know you don't have to weed your garden as much <laughs> so to speak <laughs> uh, i don't have any idea where that analogy came from but number three on this list the candy company that turned down et listen to this mars candy company thought amblin productions had a huge screw loose in 1981, when the studio offered Mars M&M's a wacky supporting role as the title character's favorite snack in E.T. the Extraterrestrial, the candy makers apparently didn't think it was a wise investment in the brand, so the role ultimately went to Hershey's Reese's Pieces, and we all know what happened. E.T. took off the box office, grossing $800 million to become one of the hottest films in history, and Reese's Pieces phoned home <laughs> a 65% sixty-five <laughs> percent explosion in sales. Uh, Len, is there a lesson there? Uh, <laughs> I, you know what? I don't know. My biggest lesson is hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, I, you know, what do you say? I mean, people yeah. make mistakes. We all make mistakes. How, how about that? Look, these are big companies with smart executives. <laughs> nobody is infallible and mistakes happen. And this is just part of life. I, well, I guess almost uh, nobody. Well, almost nobody. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know what, you know, it, it happens. It happens. And it's going to happen to us, too. We're all going to make mistakes. What do you think of these big companies with these smart executives are making mistakes? Don't, you know, don't think you're not going to make mistakes in your investing career. Because we all a, do. I was going to say, I think a mistake is listening to Joe say Reese's Pieces. <laughs> Reese's Pieces. <laughs> that's an that's a interesting way of saying that. But thank you. You're <laughs> good, good correction there. It's a great list. Ben, anything else to add? Well, I look really like I like Len's point about you know these executives are, are in theory the smartest people in the room, and they have access to basically unlimited resources for research and and uh, making all these fantastic decisions, and they still miss once in a lifetime deals. I mean, if they can't get it right, what chance does the little guy have uh, when it comes to picking individual stocks and making big bets on on narrow opportunities? I just don't see the the logic in it for the for the everyman. Well, and it's funny on that very point, Ben. The thing that I thought about was, it's my understanding that Mars M and M's are still doing okay. Like yeah. like we all sit around and we worry about that one thing that we missed, the thing that we think we should have done instead of all the wins we have. Like we obsess over it as humans, and letting that go, I think Great might point. be a better path. Right. Don't shit on yourself. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds like a bumper sticker. <laughs> number number four, no excitement over Google. Don't remember the internet portal excite? 
This early search engine is primarily known today for the mind-boggling 1999 decision by its CEO, George Bell, to pass on purchasing an oddly named startup called Google for (laughs) $750,000. Looking to unload their creation, Google co-founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin approach Bell with what has since come to be regarded as the deal of the century. Google for a million bucks. Bell passed, so they cut the price to $750,000, but still no deal. Five years later... Bell sold Excite to Ask Jeeves for $343 million. Uh, had he ponied up for Google, today he'd be holding a major share of the multinational powerhouse Alphabet, which is worth well over $750 billion with a B dollars. But back in those days, OG, who knew, right? I mean, who knew who the winner was going to be? Did you think, remember Google, it was just this white thing with nothing around it? Yeah. I mean... I remember using Excite.com to look at stocks because I like the way that their interface was set up. Uh, Google had nothing on them. When I was uh, dating Mrs. OG back in the day, she I, I was in her apartment or something and we were talking about technology and she said, hey, there's a cool thing coming out where you will actually be able to print from your, like you'll have a, like a little device and you can hold it really close to the printer and it will communicate like wirelessly the thing that has to get printed. I was like, what? No, I don't think that's a thing. (laughs) And she's like, no, it's called Bluetooth. I don't know why they named it that way, but it's a really dumb name. But no, it's coming. They were talking about it in this technology class that she was taking at school. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, that seems like it's a million miles away. I I wouldn't put any money in that. (laughs) I remember when when it was, top technology to print the maps off of Google Maps and take yeah. them with you on your road trip when yes. I was in college. That was turn-by-turn <laughs> turn directions just printed right off of your dorm room computer. That was the top of technology. You no longer like, you no longer had to go to uh, the AAA, the AAA get, the get the triptych. Right. With the 72-fold map that could never go back together again. Never, ever. I remember when they invented the gas station and the, you had to go in and you had to talk, ask the guy for directions. You had to, yeah, and, and and the gas station attendant could never give you directions with uh, <laughs> things that were actually there anymore. Yeah, there's that house that burnt down you two years can't ago. Can't miss it. Can't miss it. It's yeah, right next to the chicken place that used to be there. Isn't that a Jeff Foxworthy joke where the directions always start with "You can't get there from here," but right. Hey, uh, can I? I want to point something out on this. So we're beating up Mr. Bell here because he he passed on Google, right? I mean, yes, he he blew it. He could be $750 billion richer. Instead, he's $343 million richer. Hey, that still ain't too bad. I mean, how much do you need? And I guess maybe when, when it, for people out there looking when they're doing their investing, maybe the lesson in this is you don't always have to hit you know, a 10 or 20 bagger in your investments. You know, it's, if you got a two or a three bagger, that's pretty darn good. You know, so, you know, don't always be trying to hit the 10 baggers or 100 baggers. You get a two or three bagger and, you know, that's not too shabby. Really? It sounds like, Len, what you're saying is you should might maybe start with the end in mind. Start with what? <laughs> start with the end in mind, because that'll tell you what return you need and then go from oh, there. Oh, the end in mind. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I heard mine and I was thinking, what's he talking about mines? I was thinking gold and silver mines. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course you were. I think we're going to leave it there. Um, big, big takeaways on these misses, guys. Uh, ben, we'll give you the last word. Uh, OG. God, I go first. Um, 
I'm going to say whatever Len's about to say. Um, <laughs> no, I think for you to outsmart the market, it, whether it's the market of individual stocks or the market of which candy is going to go into which movie and that sort of stuff, you have to accept that you might have some wins, but probably have a lot more losses by trying to do that kind of pick by pick type thing. And I just can't see how it makes any sense to to try to do that. So my biggest lesson is just buy the market. Len? Yeah. What OG said, I honestly, I, you know, hindsight's 2020. You're going to make mistakes and uh, don't don't beat yourself up. Over. Ben? Yeah, I'm in agreement with the group. I think if uh, super smart CEO types can't hit 11 home runs in a row, what chance do we have? And even if you do hit 10 in a row, the 11th could be, uh, you know, line drive straight to second base and you're out. So buy index funds. It's It's what's best. Didn't you always wish when you were in school that you could have two sets of notes like your sets of notes and somebody else's notes when you were preparing for the final exam? Well, let's say that you could do that. So there's a company, a Canadian company, in fact, that's doing exactly that. And we're going to learn about them together. As always, our Friday FinTech guests, we don't recommend anybody in our Friday FinTech segment. They're just companies we came across that we're excited to learn about alongside with you. So let's say hi from one class, Jerry Zhang. And coming down the stairs to the basement from one class, it's our new friend, Jerry Zhang. How are you, man? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? I'm great. This is different. As you may know, Jerry, we love introducing people to new stuff on the Friday FinTech segment. When I first heard about you, I, I didn't know anything like this existed. So before we get into that, which we'll tell people about in a second was, was one class, was it, did it have something to do with you in school or did you see an opportunity that wasn't being taken advantage of online? Tell me about the origin story. Yeah, it wasn't started by me. It was actually started by our founders and this was back in 2011 officially. Oh, wow. But the, yeah. The, the, the idea of one class came to our founders, Jack, Maggie, Kevin, and Jackie back when they were all studying at the university of Toronto. You know, it's where they had all met, and they were all out-of-province students. So they didn't have the luxury of attending university with friends who they had known prior. So couple that with the uh, academic rigors of university taking a toll on them, the idea of pooling their notes together almost came to them naturally. Sure. Knowing that they couldn't have been the only ones who can see the benefit of this, they kind of sprang into action after graduation and began piecing together what we know as one class today as a note-sharing platform. In the beginning, they didn't know anything about marketing, so they, <laughs> so they actually started giving away free pizza back at the University of Toronto to attract some signups. Um, <laughs> but, but Jerry, for college students, that's like the best form of payment. That's the best marketing tactic I've ever heard. And you know, like after the first three hundred signups, they knew they were onto something. So fast forward to today, we're in all the schools in Canada now, more than 200 schools in all of North America, and we're closing in on three million student-generated notes. So that's where we are and how we started. That's what I was going to say. You guys have a lot of, uh, you're really uh, moving through the U.S. at a rapid pace right now, is my understanding. That's right. That's right. We're going through Canada. We've already done all of Canada. We're still going through U.S. because they still have so many colleges and universities sure. there. And uh, we've already begun our expansion to Australia as well. Wow, that's incredible. 
Well, mm-hmm. let, well, let's talk about the nuts and bolts, though, Jerry. I go yep. to oneclass.com. I guess I go there first. And tell me exactly what I find there and how it works. How it works is very simple. You just create an account with us. And don't worry, you're, you're given an alias and you remain anonymous because some people, some students don't like the idea of having their names on uh, something like this. But oh, sure. you, you essentially find the notes you've taken in the past and you begin uploading them onto one class. And every time you do that, you'll earn credits, which you can use to earn cash, unlock documents on our site, or take part in some of our contests. So in a sense, it's a freemium model. If you don't want to pay for our subscription to access the notes we have, you can become a note taker and you'll gain access to all our notes all the same. And of course, you can do this with notes you've taken on your computer or even notes you've written on paper. The good thing is we have such a robust vetting system for these notes that we actually maintain a standard of excellence for all the notes we have on our platform. There aren't any duplicates, notes pulled from the web, and they all meet a minimum page length so that when students actually get access to these notes, they know they're getting something that's uh, really going to help them. So if I'm somebody who's taking notes, let's talk about that first. Based on what you just said, Jerry, there's some specific things I have to make sure I include then to make sure that I, I reach that bar. You just have to make sure that what you're writing doesn't have a great deal of duplicated content in it. Uh, that stuff that they can just pull from Wikipedia, for example. We ask that our students actually maintain the page length of, say, a page and a half so that students access these notes that they pay for or they uh, contributed notes for to gain access to. They're getting good quality content. So we tried to make sure that these note takers are taking the right measures to make sure that these notes are of high quality standard. And then the second thing is, if I want to, can I also sell those notes to you? Can I use this as a, as a side business while I'm taking classes to help me get through school? Absolutely. Every single time that you upload notes onto our platform, you get these credits, which you can essentially cash in and you get paid for these notes. So the amount of notes that if you're able to upload all your notes, you'll make a great sum of cash just by doing this. So, you know, somebody who went through all four years of university couldn't even do it or even somebody who's already graduated. When you say great sum of cash, uh, I know there's a bunch of people leaning into their device saying, define that. (laughs) No, absolutely. So you upload, say, 16 documents, or if you become one of our elite note takers where you've consistently uploaded documents every single week, you would have to upload, say, 12 documents to get, say, $10. And every single time you do that, and it works every single time, every single time that you upload 12 documents, you get $10. You can use it to get cash, or you could also use it for other things that we have, such as gift cards, some of our contest prizes, yeah, right. uh, what have you. Gotcha. You know, you mentioned before that some people might not want to have their names uh, affiliated with with notes going back and forth. Yeah. Have you had anybody question ethically if this is if this is a good thing or not? We, I mean, it's a question that we've definitely um, had posed to us, and the, the way we see it is there's there's knowledge out there, and it, it, what the professor provides to the students, it's it's stuff that. You know, you can find in textbooks. Uh, it's it's not like it's uh, proprietary information per se. But if the professor doesn't feel like they want their notes to be uploaded onto our platform, they just send us a message and we'll take it down. Oh, We do this all the time and we have no problems doing it because we don't really want to be in conflict with professors. So it's, if they saw their notes on one class, it's fine for us to take it down. It's That's no problem at all. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I thought about that, Jerry, before I even you know thought about whether I wanted to contact you or not about talking to this. And I think that any student, frankly, that goes through school trying to get something for nothing and doesn't want to learn anything, it's okay, whatever. You'll find out sooner or later that life doesn't really work that way. But if somebody wants to get a better grade, or they're not the best note taker, they want to make sure that they're answering questions that are on the test. And there's people out there that that take these types of notes. Well, then by all means, try to press your advantage. Absolutely. At the end of the day, you're going to school to position yourself better for the job market. I mean, why not put yourself in the best position possible to make that happen? And you can use our learning resources to help you get there. I mean, if you're a struggling student academically, you should be seeking out additional resources to help you. And we're there to help. And just a, a couple more questions so that I understand it. If if I have no interest in in adding to notes or notes already exist for the classes that I'm taking, and I just want to buy the help, what's kind of the price range? How do the prices work uh, to get help on one class? Yeah, you can see us as almost a Netflix for notes. Uh, we go through a subscription package, and it's essentially um, you could purchase a quarterly package, a yearly package, or even a monthly package. And for a yearly package, you're essentially paying $10 per month. That's about the, the price of a Spotify or a Netflix, or you could get a monthly, which is around 40 and a quarterly around $20 per month. So we, we have options available depending on what your needs are, whether or not you, you need it just for a semester or even just one month, just for, say, a midterm or the whole year to help you get through school. Nice. And that's all available at oneclass.com. That's right. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about one class that uh, that you would say is something that's a big piece of it that maybe I'm missing? Yeah, I mean, we started out by providing learning resources for years now, but now we want to explore the idea of going for a direct approach to student learning where we can almost influence the way in which they learn. The way we're doing that is with our new services like homework help and exam prep live tutorials. I see that and right here as I'm looking at your site. Yeah, it says there's 30 tutors online right now. Exactly. Uh, we have these homework help expert tutors who essentially are there to answer students' questions, uh, homework questions, and we have them answered within 24 hours for a very, very low fee. We also have something that we don't have on our site yet, but we are essentially building out that product right now and testing the waters. And it's called the Exam Prep Live Tutorials, where we're essentially connecting students directly with uh, expert tutors and they go over everything that they need to know for their exams and for their courses. That's that's so wild. So different than when I went through school. Um, <laughs> I love the fact there's all these resources available. Uh, by the way, if you're walking the dog or you're on your morning commute, we have you covered. We'll have a link to Jerry, one class and all of that on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Jerry, thanks a ton for coming on and explaining one class to us. Thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And here on All or Nothing Day, let's talk about a guy Joe's mom talks about all the time named Archie Karras. Archie, or Mr. Karras, if you ask Joe's mom, is famous for the largest and longest documented winning streak in casino gambling history. People sharing this legend call it The Run in capital letters because in December 1992, Archie drove to Las Vegas with only 50 bucks in his pocket. 
after convincing a fellow poker player he recognized from Los Angeles for a $10,000 loan, he went on an unbelievably long streak of making cash and winning games. His lucky streak finally ran out. Ready for it? Three years later in 1995 when he lost the majority of his cash. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's today's question. How much cash did Karras make from his initial $10,000 loan before he lost all his winnings? Get your bets in now, people. Even though this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and we wouldn't even think of gambling money here, we'll say three Sizzler coupons is the minimum bet on this one. We play this game, Price is Right style, the closest without going over, and we explain the complicated rules to Mr. Brandt backstage. You got them, Ben? You got the rules? I'm excited and confident. Excellent. Well, here's the score. You are playing on behalf of our friend Paula. Paula, by the way, last time we played, had Chelsea Brennan playing for her. And we have a phrase on the show called getting Chelsea Brennan and Chelsea Brennan got Chelsea Brennan on that show. Epically by OG who surged Ed to have seven and Len has eight, which means you, sir, Ben, get to decide, would you like to go first in the middle or last? I'm going first. You are, you're going first. Very surprising. Supremely uh, confident. <laughs> OG, then do you want to go in the middle or last? Uh, middle sounds fine. Wow, which means wow. Len gets to go last. This is this is uh, like a weirdest day ever. Okay. Your, your check's in the mail, OG. Here, here we go. I'm just going to nail the number. So <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so, Ben... This uh, most money, he started off with a $10,000 loan in 92. By 95, how much money was his high watermark? $4 million. Sorry, Paula. $4 million. And based on that, you uh, uh, that's not any, there's no math there. There's no math there. You know, if you buy into the World Series of Poker, it's $10,000 buy-in, and, and the price pool is over $4 million. So I'm just going to assume he did that and then took two years off. Ah, gotcha. Uh, OG was the $10,000 loan at 300% interest because uh, that could have an effect. Like, did he get his money from like a payday loan company? I can subsidize or unsubsidized. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you this. It was at a hundred percent interest. So he put in 10 and the dude, dude said, I'll, I'll take 20 back. Yes. Well, that's pretty good. And he did get um, 20 back. I bet he did. Okay. All right. Well, let's see, four million. This is ninety-three money. So it's probably what, what, like six doubles or something? Two hundred or twenty, forty, eighty, one sixty. Nah, more than that. Three twenty. Seven million four. Two. So that's nine doubles. I'm gonna go one more double than that. So I'll say, uh, I'll say eight. Eight and a half million. Eight and a half million dollars. Well, Len, that's a conundrum, huh? Actually, it's not. I, I think this is a this is easy. I mean, it's a it's a win streak, right? So you know, I don't think he just won one and then sat on it for two years. I mean, that's not a streak, right? So I, I think I think Ben's logic is incorrect. So that makes. Uh, you know, if it's three years, let's say he's won two tournaments a year. 
Uh, let's see. So that would be, uh, and I have no idea what the, those tournament winnings are. I take Ben at his word if they're four million. I don't know. I don't know if that's four million dollars today or four million dollars back then. So uh, we're, we're, we're we're playing with the numbers at the time. What was the number he reached? So okay, so let's say it was only a million dollars times six wins. That would be six million dollars. And what OG say? He said eight and a half million. Mm. Do I want to give OG that whole spiel between after eight and a half million to infinity? No, I don't. Eight and a half million and one cent. And that's how the game's played. <laughs> I would love it if it was like 40,000 bucks. <laughs> Took that ticket. Hardly grade, newsworthy. Made it to 40. It was called the run, but he was playing the penny slots. And slowly bit his way up. All right. Like any self-respecting show, of course, we're going to tell you the answer, but not right now. We're going to be back with it in just a moment. The following is an actor, not a real person. We tried to find an actual Stacking Benjamins podcast listener, but we're not sure any exist. Yesterday, I turned on one of those other podcasts. Ugh, more money talk? The topic was something called long-term care. And they couldn't even make me care for the short term. That podcast made me feel like just another number. Hi, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the huge star of the award-winning Stacking Benjamin Show. Are you tired of podcasts that blabber on about money? Are you confused about all this IRA, SEPP, 72T, and fiduciary talk? At Stacking Benjamins, you're not just another number to us. Heck, if you actually listen, you're the only number. That's why we barely ever talk about money. Better yet, we treat you like family. We'll invite you on down to Joe's mom's basement, serve you some pie and maybe even a little lemonade. And best yet, when you leave, we'll complain about you behind your back. Because that's what real family moments are all about. I'm never going back to that old podcast. Stacking Benjamins is a way for me to avoid numbers and feel that warm, fuzzy feeling I get Every time I scream at my sister on the phone. Stacking Benjamins, where you're not a number, you're family. All right, let's uh, walk through these. You you got a lot of room to run, Ben. $4 million, you said. That gives you uh, $4.5 million of, of room. How are you feeling about that? I remain supremely confident. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, OG, sorry about your luck, pal. <laughs> I feel like maybe I had to nail it right on the head here. You, 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 you might made... have made a small mistake in judgment. <laughs> this would be epic. Choosing to go second. <laughs> this, this would be epic. And Len, eight and a half million or over. That, that seems like a high number. <laughs> I don't know. I just know it's one cent higher than OG's <laughs> It what is, happens if we all lose? It is. Uh, it just pushes to next week. We've had that happen. I think, frankly, half the time on trivia. We should turn it into a skins game, like in golf, where it like carries over. So, like in <laughs> it's thirteen weeks, you're the like I'm time. playing. Like this is this one really counts. It's all pressure. And should then I throw the Master Chef Junior tickets in on this. <laughs> just betting those two. That would be you throw in those. Ben throws in like Wheel of Fortune tickets. <laughs> I've got Weird Al tickets for next month. But are those free? No, I did not. <laughs> yes. See, there you go. 
You're like overbidding. Well, I guess, you know, if you want to make the pot stakes higher. All right. Doug knows the answer to this. It's weird saying Doug knows the answer to anything, but here we go. Hey there, and welcome back, stackers. Before the break, I asked you about Joe's mom's hero, a guy named Archie Karras, who's a very famous gambler. Starting with a $10,000 loan from a fellow L.A. gambler who got a 100% return on his investment, by the way, Karras went on to make a fortune gambling in Las Vegas. How much did he make before losing most of his money? If you claimed more than $40 million, I'll be collecting my Sizzler coupon winnings from you now. Please and thank you. And by the way, you may want to stick to more traditional investment vehicles like, uh, you know, your 401k at work. Instead of pool and gambling like Archie used. Anyway, the odds are way better there over the long run, of course. See ya! Oh, I, I feel I'm dirty. Sorry, Paula. I'm sorry, Paula. <laughs> I, I should go take a shower right now. It did feel That's like a, a cheap win. I was off by a factor of 10. <laughs> <laughs> it felt it's like it, way more doubles. It felt slightly like a cheap win, Len. I just got to yeah, say. Yeah, that was cheap. But you know well, what? But using I'll your take logic, it. yeah, using your logic though, if you figure that each win was, you know, three or four million dollars worth, and he played two or three times a year, and he won three years worth, that would get you up there pretty close. So, and I wonder what it means. I didn't even look into this enough. Does that mean he won like every single hand? I mean, he won every. No, I think. It, I think I mean, he meant he played, a, he played all sorts of games. But what stuck out to me is ten thousand is usually the buy-in for the big tournament. Yeah, games, right. Poker style games. Yeah. So that's what I was processing in my mind. But I know the prize pool has moved a lot since poker has become much more popular. But That is absolutely crazy. He drove to Las Vegas with 50 bucks in his in his pocket. That's that's a pretty good uh, pretty good return on investment. It's crazy he didn't take anything off the table at $40 million. I say it says his initial run lasted six months when he drove to Vegas with 50 bucks, turned 10 grand into $17 million playing poker and pool. It started in December when, after losing the entire bankroll, blah, 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 he went to the Mirage, turned the 10 into 30, returned 20 back to his backer, like you said, started playing pool at $5,000 a game. $5,000 a game Jeez, playing pool. After he won several hundred thousand dollars, they raised it to 40000 a game. Uh, he ended up winning a million two. Then he played poker. He won an additional $3 million. So then he had set four total, unbelievable, uh, up to seven in three months, and then he put it all on AOL Time Warner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. He, he bought says, a whole bunch of non-digital cameras. <laughs> says, says that he sat at the at Binion's Horseshoes poker table with five of his seven million dollars in front of him, waiting for any player to take on with such stakes. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, you can't turn 10 into 40 without taking some extreme risk, but at some point, do you take something off the table and put yeah. some in your Roth IRA, for goodness sakes? I'm, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm just or an everyman. Just like that. Uh, <laughs> all I need is a private jet. Thanks, Ben. To take me to my private island away from my kids. <laughs> I'm an everyman. Just love that uh, Gaffigan bit. Yeah, Jim is so funny. Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you know what you find? You find those financial products used every day. They're nowhere near best in class. Over 92% of the products available online, all ranked at Magnify Money 
head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. And today we're throwing out the magnifying glass to Kay. Say hi, Kay. You've got mail. Hi, Joe and OG. I've got a question for you, but I'm hoping you have this on the Friday call so that one of your guests can help me actually learn something. I currently am investing primarily solely in tax-advantaged accounts through you know stock markets, so 401k, HSA, and that's been something that's been very comfortable for me so far, um, something I can set it and forget it, and being early in my career, I've already been able to see where that's been a great benefit. I'm interested in real estate, but not really sure how to go about mentally approaching the aspect of lowering my 401k or HSA investments in order to save money for a real estate investment down payment. I know that that's probably where it would make sense, but every time I think about that, I kind of cringe and think about what if I miss out on additional gains in the stock market or what if the real estate investment, an opportunity never comes my way. So I end up just putting a lot of money into a savings account for an opportunity that doesn't materialize. Any thoughts on how to approach this topic or you know, mental hacks that you might have would be much appreciated. Thanks so much. Wow. Big question there. You know, real estate, Ben, as you know, over long periods of time does really well, but getting that down payment together can mean a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. What do you think? I love that you said, set it and forget it. Shout out Ron Popeil. I did an episode on set it and forget it a few weeks ago. You remember Ron Popeil? He had the, you could do four chicken rotisseries at a time. And he said, if you follow the instructions on my super duper rotisserie, you could set it and forget it. I love I was a latchkey kid. I watched a lot of infomercials. Was that where that came from originally? Ron Popeil. Did it really? I remember uh, sprays, uh, uh, hair in a can. Remember hair in a can? Hair in a can. You had Mr. Microphone as well. Yes. That, the, uh, that was the battery operated up microphone karaoke. You know, thing. I think Ron Popeil invented all, I think all of those things, the fish yep. and magician and all those things. I, I think he, he did all that stuff. I was thinking about that, Len. Wasn't there the pocket fisherman too? Yes. Where he the could pocket like, fisherman. Yes. 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 Yep. The pocket pool. <laughs> Hey, Joe, you're confusing that with pocket pool. Oh, that's something else altogether. Uh, but anyway, Ben, so what do you think? I know exactly what you should do, Kay. So you've got two competing goals, right? You want to save up money for a down payment, but you don't want that to kind of languish in cash because your fear is the stock market is going to take off and you're going to miss all of those gains. So you do two things at once. You fund a non-qualified brokerage account and you choose a pretty aggressive allocation, 80, 90, 100% in the stock market, and you just fund that monthly. And if your stock market deal never, if your real estate deal never comes through, you get all the stock market gains. But if you find the deal of a lifetime, that's all liquid money to you. Of course, you got to pay capital gains tax, but you cash out that brokerage account and buy the house you want. Bada boom, bada bing. OG? Well, I'd only add, you know, what if that deal of a lifetime comes amidst a, a market correction or market crash, uh, which I guess deal of a lifetime, maybe that's when it would happen. So, I think there's a point in time where you start getting really serious about that other goal, you know, the real estate purchase goal. And I'm a really big believer in when you start focusing on something, it will appear, you know, like if, if you just start thinking, Oh, I really want to buy an apartment building. I really want to buy an apartment building. Pretty soon. All you see are apartment buildings. It's just like, if you want to, you know, it's, it doesn't matter what you want. It's magical. How <laughs> like all of a sudden everybody has one except you, you know, you get a new car or a new to you car and it's the only color in town. And then all of a sudden everybody's got that one and it's the same color and you've never seen one before that day. So a little bit of uh, manifest your destiny stuff, a la uh, old school Wayne Dyer, if anybody knows that. But um, anyway, 
I think as you're continuing to save, it's great to have it invested because, you know, early on, if you're saving $200 a month, let's say, you're probably unlikely to buy an apartment building or a triplex or whatever you're looking for with like two grand down payment. So you might as well use the compounding. And if it happens to go down at the very beginning, so be it. You know, that's actually just buying more shares. But pretty soon you'll get to the point where that that goal is funded. You know, maybe you try to accumulate $25,000 for your goal and now you've got 25,000, you still haven't found it. Now you have to decide, is it worth continuing to save for that goal or should I take a little bit of that, that variability off the table? You know, that'll be up to you. But um, I wouldn't let it just sit in cash for the unknown. So I like the idea of let's get the money invested because it's still an investment. Yeah, it's just it, not a real estate investment. It's an investment in other companies. Well, so, it sounds like, Ben, with your answer, you agree with that. Don't let it sit in cash. Don't let it sit in cash. And if she's willing to speculate on one piece of real estate, we have to assume her risk tolerance is fairly high. So that means the brokerage account that she funds should be fairly aggressive to try to keep up and, and help her earn. If she's going to save it up in cash, like OG said, it's going to take a long time at 0% at $200 a month. we got to take a little bit of risk, try to get some growth going on this thing. Uh, and then hopefully the stars will align and we'll have the right amount of cash liquid when that deal presents itself. But uh, we're already speculating putting a big amount of our net worth likely on one piece of property. So you've got to be willing to take that same risk in an investment account if we're going to make an apples to apples comparison. Len, have you ever done something like this where you t- tried to save a down payment for a rental property? No, I, I, I threw it all into gold. So, uh, there's a little bit of a joke there, but okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sad joke. It's you also I, serious. Hey, but it went up just, once. No, it went up no, once. <laughs> there, there was that time. Hey, you know, I'm gonna, why didn't I try, you know, like, like a REIT, right? Like a real estate investment trust. What's wrong with that? You know, you don't need to wait for this giant down payment for, you know, to, for, you know, that seems more of a spec. I don't know if it's more of a speculative move doing it that way. But if you go with a REIT, you can just, you don't need a lot of money. You can jump right in with, I don't know, 500, 250, 500 bucks. You can get them right off the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ boards. And you can get into the real estate market that way. And you can invest in different types. REITs are cool because you can invest in uh, starter homes or you can invest in starter apartment complexes. There's there's REITs for industrial sites only like factories and warehouses. There's all kinds of different REITs out there. So if you want to get into that kind of, you know, real estate investment area, you know, consider a REIT. And that's just, you know, that's uh, another alternative for you. Yeah, sounds like a decent... uh Halfway, maybe more diversified halfway, Ben. It's logical, but it's not sexy. You know, people want to buy real estate. They want a property that they can cut the grass on and, and paint and have somebody paying the mortgage for and them. I mean, there's a lot of appeal. all those wonderful, wonderful apartment building owning tasks. Yeah. Like you, you don't get to <laughs> check in the, the boiler. The they sent you. Yeah, <laughs> no, right. I think people want to own physical real estate because that's just so much more romantic than owning, you know, an, another ETF or another REIT or something. So uh, yeah. logical, but that's what most people don't want to do. But sometimes, I mean, you know, there are also, though, even though there's a specific risk of one certain property, obviously, conversely of that, you might pick the right property and your chance of the big win on a single property is much bigger than it would be on a REIT. I mean, REITs over long periods of time historically have done about what the S&P 500's done, right? I mean, you look at long periods, those are the two asset classes that historically have kicked inflation's butt. But that also, I think, if a risk tolerance is high, starting off with a REIT and then using that, I mean, using, OG, what you and Ben both said, 
you're in real estate now. And if you decide to transfer it over, it's like you already have some real estate and you're just trading one, you know, a bunch of properties for the single property that you really like. But then you don't get the winter property tax bill in the mail for oh. your apartment building. You know, you just, you well, but what would I do without one of these to deal with? She will get one of those once she transfers to the single property. Ah, yes. That's what she's probably really after. She wants that tax bill. To like shovel snow. Yes. Meet with roofing contractors, landscape architects. It's just amazing. It's Emergency midnight phone calls. You you guys are all huge. fun never stops. You guys are all huge real estate fans. I can tell. Guys from the bigger. Well, you know that I've, you know, I'm going through it. Like sure. I, I like to, I like to tell people that everything that you can do with money, I try to make the mistakes ahead of time. So rather than buying a single family house, I'm going to buy a big giant apartment building and I'll let you guys know how it goes. It's already going awesome. But Hey, by the way, I'll bring up one more thing on the REITs too. They, they throw off dividends, right? They're not all they of them, do, but yeah. there's, and the dividends tend to be higher than most stocks that, pay dividends. So that's another kind of neat thing about a read. So just another thing to think about. Thanks for the question, Kay. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, the crew here will answer your question. And uh, Kay, we're also sending you a greatest money show on earth t-shirt. So nice job. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Speaking of nice job, what a ton of fun. We're going to let our guest of honor go last and find out what's going on on his podcast here in just a second. But Len, what's happening at the Persistent Itch? (laughs) Yeah, uh, this week on the Persistent Itch, uh, six ways to avoid becoming small-minded about money. Got uh, just some interesting uh, uh, things to think about to keep you from stressing about money. And uh, it's just a psychological uh, game. So. Come by and check it out. Awesome. OG, what do you got going on this weekend? Partay. My uh, middle kid turned 10 a couple days ago, so we are doing the partay because it's awesome to have fifth graders running rampant in your home. Yeah, good time had by some (laughs) in that deal. Exactly. Ben, thanks a ton for hanging out with us, man. That was hey, happy to be here. Big time, uh, big time fan. First time, long time, as they say in the business. <laughs> Ding. We're glad we finally got you here. It's about time we got you here. Cause I think, I think what you and I talked about this at FinCon, which now is almost a year ago that we were going to do this and it only took us what, 11 months. So there we go. Better late than ever. I'm super happy to be here. Holy cow. We got to make it sooner for the next time, but what's happening at retirement starts today. Radio. So Retirement Starts Today Radio, we are about to record our 100th episode, so you check that out. We so did an awesome. ode to Ron Popeil a few months ago, said it and forget it. You could check out that episode. You could check out our episode on our adoption story. And coming up is uh, The Magic of the Mullet, which is the, the perfect haircut for retirement distribution strategy. So watch for that in the coming months. <laughs> the Magic of the mm-hmm. Mullet. Business up front. Mm. Party in the back. Party in the back. Yes. OG had one of those haircuts. Not true. No. I had a pretty sweet rat tail in in elementary school, I will admit. (laughs) Nice, nice work. Uh, Len did too. Len, you had a mullet. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Len Len was the master of the mullet back in the day. Right. I think that's going to do it. This this podcast is a, well, not really a mullet. It's kind of party in the front and party in the back, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) There's a mullet around. It's a party. That's all. That's right. Party all over. All right, Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? 
Well, Joe, first, take some advice from our panel today. Worried about making mistakes with your investments? You can't improve if you don't make a mistake or two. The earlier you get started, the quicker you'll make a few mistakes and then learn from them. Second, setting money aside for that big down payment on an investment property? Maybe there are more creative ways to make money in the meantime. But the big lesson? Don't let Len Penzo use the magic eight ball to ask if Joe's mom's making a liver. Definitely, yes, is not the answer we're hoping for. Anyone want to sneak out to the Sizzler with me later? Special thanks to Benjamin Brandt. You can find more from Ben at retirementstartstoday.com. And another big thanks to Jerry Zhang for talking with us today. You'll be able to learn more at their site, oneclass.com, or through our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and ThePersistentItch.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and there's a 73% chance that I played Chuck on Happy Days. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. What's wrong with you? Uh, it's either this show or indigestion. I hope it's indigestion. Why? It'll get better in a little while. Welcome to the after show. Ben, this is a part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens here stays here, just so you know. I, I know you've listened to the show before, but just re-explaining the rules. We were talking about Excite.com. And usually I ask people if they've heard of Excite.com. Have, had you guys, Ben, did you use Excite.com? Fuzzy, fuzzy memory, but I, I recall it a little. Yeah, Len, do you remember it, OG? I don't know. No, most of the websites with an X in it uh, I don't think they were that useful. You know, they didn't have that much utility. You no. went to the wrong ones with the wrong, the, <laughs> not enough wrong, wrong place. So I do remember Ask access. Jeeves though. I remember Ask Jeeves, which I think in the story that, that who ended up with Excite. Yeah. But, but. Ask Jeeves a little bit younger, but Excite, I really liked because it was a place that my clients could go and I could show them if they had individual stocks, 
how to look at the fundamentals on their stocks, which I always thought if you own a stock, I wanted to show you how to track it, how to know it. And if they had company stock and the company they work for or whatever, I worked with a bunch of people at Microsoft as an example, I would show them how to, how to look at different fundamental stuff. So one day I'm sitting with clients and I had this cool setup where I could turn the monitor toward you and I had the keyboard over on the side and my mouse and uh, one of the early wireless mice, by the way, then I was pretty badass. And uh, so we're, so we're, we're sitting and I said, okay, I'm going to show this is Mark and Andrea. I'm going to show the two of you how to take a look at your stock. And I typed in and I typed pretty fast. Uh, that's a whole different story, but I typed excite.com in, but not knowing it, not knowing it, I had inadvertently, because I typed really fast, typed E-X-C-T-I-E, xtie.com. And so I start talking about their stock and about how I love this site because it can show you a lot about like the growth of your stock and how your stock's doing. And Mark and Andrea's eyes are just flipping huge, just absolutely huge. And, and Andrea's turning bright red and I, I can't figure out what the hell's going on. And I look over and across the entire screen, there is a huge piece of huge piece of mail. I said you, you typed in too many X's. Yeah. I was saying there's. You know, anything with an X was not yeah. exciting for him. And I told him, you know, he had yes. more X's. Right. Well, then my eyes wouldn't have been my eyes wouldn't have been that wide. I'd have been just looking at that nodding my head going, OK, I, I at your financial planner's office. OK, uh, I realized, by the way, that site had redirected to massive. And so they are they're looking at me like I'm the world's biggest pervert. And so so I defending my honor go in and I look cause they're looking like, how do we end up here? Like what's the, you know, no judgment, Joe, just how do we end up here? And so I go back, you can go back in the history and I see that I had typed in E X C T. So what's the website again? <laughs> right. I don't know if it still does that. E X C T I. I'm not even going to do that again. Let me see if that's on my bookmarks. Does it still do that? That search off. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Incognito window. Many redirects. That thing, by the way, went all the way across my screen. <laughs> it was, it was, it was. Did a, it say, this is a little asterisk that said not drawn to scale. <laughs> I don't know. We were, we closed it up right away, but that might've been the most, further. that might've been the most embarrassing uh, thing that happened in my career. Wow. So not good. It's a memorable appointment. Yeah, but well, for, for somebody. They probably still tell that story to this day. <laughs> and not not fondly at me. Yeah, our, our financial planner is a perv. <laughs> Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. 
considering a big home improvement project? Maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org at Navy Federal. Our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.